You are listening to a sermon series from Open Door Fellowship Church. I get to introduce you to our speaker this morning, who to many of you needs no introduction. Um, Tab and his wife, Ellen. Ellen, wave. Stand up. (laughs) (laughs) Live in Puerto Penasco, Mexico, or Rocky Point, where uh, Tab pastors um, a very, very vibrant uh, dual-culture church there, Family of God Christian Fellowship, or Familia de Dios. And um, so we have the privilege of hearing from him this morning. Um, Tab's heart is, um, is, is the word of God and to teach truth. But he also engages his body to meet some um, hugely tangible needs within his community, many of which we've gotten to take part and walk alongside him in. So it's a privilege to have Tab here. He's been in our pulpit before, but it's been a long time. So please welcome Tab Gray. Thanks, Kelly. (laughs) Thanks, Bill. It is so good to be here today. How's everybody doing? Good? All right. I just feel so honored. I mean, I was sharing with the guys earlier and the ladies when we were praying before the service that uh, I believe it was about 10 years ago that I came up and Ellen and I came up and I preached at Open Door to the World Missions uh, time, and it was the first time Ellen and I had ever had a church just really set aside time and just pray for us, for our ministry over us. And ever since then, not only our friendship with Helen and Bob and so many of you, and we got to go to Bosnia. Ellen's going to go to Bosnia in September as well. But we just feel like you're our, our body as well, and you've just loved on us so much. So anytime I get the opportunity to, to come here and preach, I'm excited. Anytime I get the opportunity to preach, I'm excited. It's all that other stuff that gets in the way. You know, if I could just preach all the time, then I'd be happy. So um, anyway, I'm just excited to be here. And, I, and we just started a new series down in Rocky Point in First John. And uh, we had finished a series in Hosea, and before that we were in Romans. I hear y'all just finished up in Romans. Uh, and John DeForest had asked me, you know, to preach on whatever I felt like preaching on. We prayed, and I was trying to think of maybe there was something in Hosea or just... And this passage that I just recently preached in First John just really, it really struck me. It not only convicted me, but it also inspired me and encouraged me and assured me. And so I really was hoping that that'll come through today with y'all and that you'll just the word of God, obviously, which he promises will never return void, would just really reach down in us and and just help us to continue today with that same heart of worship that we just came to. That's like, you know, like a rushing wind, like a mighty storm. Take over me and I surrender. Are we truly willing to surrender ourselves and allow the spirit to truly control us? We have a lot of head knowledge, right? Here it is in 2018, and we've got Bible studies coming out of the yin-yang. You know, I mean, they're everywhere. We can get online. How many of you have the Bible app on your phone? You know, you can uh, download sermons. You can, you can do all these things. We have no excuse to not know the Word of God. But how much of it do we truly apply and practice in our lives, or how much of it is just simply head knowledge. John, writing the book of First John, was, was writing to believers, and this is towards the end of his life, so by this time he's probably 80, 90 years old. And he's coming back to probably Ephesus, 
And he's writing this letter to these believers who have dealt with so many things over these last years prior to him coming. And one thing that he continues to deal with in this is the false teaching that was so prevalent at that time, which was Gnosticism. And and John identifies this false teaching throughout his letters in the epistles of John, but specifically in 1 John, when he deals with these Gnostics who say they have this special knowledge from God. And so he's, he's attacking that because they've been teaching, they've infiltrated the church, and they've been teaching that, you know, you have this special knowledge of God. So if you know God, then you don't have to worry about these other things because Gnostics believed everything in physical form was evil. And everything was in spiritual. So as long as you knew God, then you then you were in the spiritual world and you'd have to worry about what your physical body did or didn't. That'd be nice, wouldn't it? You can see how easy it was to sell. So John's dealing with this, but I think it's so applicable to us because in our world, when we have so much knowledge accessible to us, it's really easy to just get caught up. And yeah, I know that. I know that. And you, you hear people preach in open door. You have some of the best teaching that's available anywhere in the world. I mean, truly, you're spoiled rotten. You come here every Sunday. And so it's so easy to say, yeah, I know that. I've heard that. But do we truly apply? And that's what John, I believe, is giving us today in the passage we're going to look at, look at here in 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 through 11. He's going to give us three tests of intimate knowledge as if to say, "Okay, you say, you know, God. But you don't really know him intimately. You don't really have this special knowledge if you're not doing these things. And it's not a way for us to judge one another. It's not a way for me to take this and look at Mike and say, Mike, I don't see this in you. So you don't have an intimate knowledge. It is totally for us to look in a mirror. And ask ourselves. It's kind of like the passage where Jesus said, you will know them by their fruit. He wasn't saying, okay, go out there and test everybody. But rather he was saying, you will definitely know their believers if their fruit is producing. It's kind of like a fruit tree. How many of you without the fruit can distinguish between a lime and an orange and a lemon tree? There's probably some of you that can, but I certainly can't until I see the actual fruit on there. And then I'm like going, ah, that's a lime tree. It's the same way with us. And that's what John's saying here. You can definitely know you have an intimate relationship with God. You can definitely know that you are saved. You can be assured of your salvation if these things are present in your life. And they're obviously in contrast to the false teaching that's going out because he he uses in these passages three times. He says, if you claim to know these things, then this. So it's almost like he's jabbing a little bit at these false teachers. You claim to know God. You claim to abide in God. You claim to live in the light. If so, you should be doing these things. So that's what we're going to look at today. Okay, turn in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 2. And follow along as I read verses 3 through 11 here, okay? 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 through 11. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. 
and the truth is not in him. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Verse 6, whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. That's one verse I wish we could just erase out of there. It'd be a lot easier, wouldn't it? Think of that. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Dear friends, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have heard since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard. Yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light. And there's nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister in the darkness and walks around in the darkness, they do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. Before we come continue, would you just pray with me real quick and ask God to really open our hearts and our minds to what he has for us. Father, we come to you now, and I just thank you so much for this privilege to be together and to be studying your word together, to continue to worship you with our whole being, to really be pleading with you right now that like a rushing wind, like a mighty storm, that you would just take control of us, that you would take control of our thoughts and our hearts, our minds, and that you would truly pierce our hearts, convict us, but don't just leave us convicted, but give us through this study this morning the, the wisdom and the understanding and the knowledge of how to truly surrender ourselves more to you. And to truly become more intimately aware of you and intimately involved with you, Father. Teach us right now, Holy Spirit. In the precious name of our Lord and Savior Jesus, we pray. Amen. Three tests of intimate knowledge. That's basically what we're going to look at. And you'll notice in verses 4, 6, and 9, those three phrases that say, If you claim, or if anyone claims then this is what should happen. And in these is where I see practically for me and hopefully for you that we can look at it and we can say, okay, I'm going to test myself in these areas. And that way it will help me to know not to beat myself up, but it will truly help me to see, am I truly intimately involved with Christ? And if I say no to some of those areas, then it's not to give up, it's not to lose heart, but it's rather to sit there and say, okay, how am I going to become more intimately involved? How am I going to become more intimately aware and have more intimate knowledge rather than just a head knowledge, rather than just an intellectual knowledge? So the first thing I want us to look at in these verses comes in verses 3 through 5, and that is that John wants us to ask this question, I believe, and I want you to ask this question along with me. Do we obey God's commands? Look what he says here in verse 4. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. This is assurance. This is how we can know we have an intimate relationship, an intimate knowledge with God with Jesus Christ. And that is if 
we obey His commandments. John's writing to believers. Some that probably have been led astray, but they're believers. So this is not about whether we're saved or not. But it's rather about the intimacy that we have. If I ask for a a show of hands in this room, how many of you know Jesus Christ? I would assume that probably all of you would raise your hand. I'm preaching to a room of believers. And yet at the same time, we need to ask ourselves, do I know him intimately? Jesus himself said, what did he say in John 14, 15? He says, if you love me, keep my commands. If you love me. I'm intimately involved with my wife. I know her. She knows me better than anybody else. If I love her, I will show that. Jesus saying, if you're intimately involved with me, if you truly love me, then you will keep my commands. You will do what I do, what I tell you to do. Going back to John's words in our text today, I think they're to remind us of a very basic, simple truth. And that is if we're going to say we have an intimate relationship with him, if we're going to claim to know him, then we must understand this, that obedience is essential. How many of you love that word obedience? How many would you consider yourself rebels to some extent? Really? Only three of you? (laughs) How many of you truly, when somebody tells you to do something, your initial thing is, who do they think they are? (laughs) (laughs) Obedience is essential if we're really going to claim to have an intimate knowledge. If we don't, if we find obedience so difficult to the Word of God, if we find ourselves saying, I know the Word tells me to do this, but I just don't want to do it, then I think it's a good check on ourselves to say, you know what? I probably need to develop more intimacy with God. It's not just to know the commands, but it's to actually obey them and do them. Dr. Thomas Constable in His commentary on 1 John says, Furthermore, God's truth does not have a controlling influence over his life. If we're not being obedient, then the repercussion of that is it obviously shows that God doesn't have a controlling influence over our lives. So we can claim to know him. We can claim to know everything intellectually. But does he have a controlling influence over us? I think of this because many of you that have been down to Rocky Point and uh, even met him maybe two years ago, Jorge Marino, our associate pastor, my associate pastor down there. Jorge's been with us for, been with me now for seven years. The first two or three years we were together, I mean, he came to me and he said, you know, I know that God's calling me to be a pastor. Will you disciple me? And for those first three years, as we got the new church kind of going, because we went from being just an English expat church to a fully bicultural, bilingual church. For those first two or three years there, we used to laugh that he and I spent more time together than we spent with our wives. 
Even now we share a desk. We're with each other all the time. People began after the first year or so saying, they began calling Jorge Little Tab. Okay, because it was like if they asked him a question, they'd know what he was going to respond based on what I'd responded. The reality is that I began to have that controlling influence over him. Not in a bad way, but it was he spent that time with me. We were intimately involved. I kind of think of it as how many of you, Ellen and I love to do this when we see couples. You can almost tell if an older couple has been married together for many years because they start looking alike. Some of you are going, oh, Lord, please don't let that happen. But you begin to see it. Why? Because of that controlling influence that they have. Do we have that type of relationship with Jesus? Does he have that controlling influence over us? Obedience is essential. It's a must. And so that's one of the true things that we learn here from this passage to check ourselves and say, am I truly obedient? The thought that you and I need to ponder that I hope that we'll take from this in this first three verses is do our choices in life show that God has a controlling influence over us? Only we can truly answer that. I'd like to think I can answer it for everybody else. It'd be much easier just to look at y'all. But only I can truly say. And John is saying here, and that obedience will let us know that we can be assured of our salvation. See, there was so much false teaching going on, and people were wondering, do I have that special knowledge? I tell people, it just is amazing to me how often when I'm counseling or I'm talking to people, even a total stranger, and I bring up that old, I think it's an evangelism explosion question, if you were to die tonight, do you know where you would go? And people say, well, I hope it'd be heaven. I hope. Like, I'm, I'm hoping, I'm wishing... I hope that I can slide into heaven and go safe. (laughs) That I don't miss it by just a little bit. But John's saying you can be assured. If you're truly obedient, then that obedience is going to give you that assurance because you're going to know that you have that intimate relationship with God. There shouldn't be any doubt in our minds. Because we know based on our obedience. Well, as we move along in this text, the next question that John seems to provide for us to ask ourselves, and in in direct comparison to the false teaching of the Gnostics, is this question, do we walk as Jesus did? Do we walk as Jesus did? I don't mean like, you know, I've got the John Wayne walk because of the problem in my leg. But I'm talking, do we live our lives as Jesus did? Look at the words of Jesus again in John 15, 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus taught his disciples and his followers that if we abide in him, if we live in him, and and look what John says here in verse 4. I mean, I'm sorry, in verse 6. Whoever claims to live in Him must live as Jesus did. If you claim to live in Him, if you claim to reside in Him, if you claim to abide in Him, 
if you claim to have that intimate knowledge, that intimate relationship with him, then you will live as Jesus did. You will walk as Jesus did. Now, what's the basic truth for us to get from this? And that is this simple conduct is essential. Probably better stated, good conduct is essential. I don't mean like just doing nice things and good things, being a polite person, though that certainly could be a part of it. But do we truly believe as a believer, as a follower of Jesus, that our conduct is important? Or do we find ourselves always rationalizing and always forgiving ourselves that, well, God knows I'm a sinner. We're all sinners. Is that true? Amen. But do we use this as an excuse for bad behavior? Anybody else do that besides me? Well, God understands. Does he? Amen. Yes, he does. But it's kind of like you telling your child not to do something and then they go ahead and do it and they say, well, and you say, why did you do it? Well, just because. Do we truly believe that our conduct, our good conduct is essential? John knew what his life should look like. He had lived with Jesus 24 hours a day for over three years. I don't think he did much that Jesus didn't tell him to do. I don't know about you, but if I were to follow and live with Jesus 24 hours a day, really right here by me, you think our actions might be a little different? It'd be nice because we'd say if Jesus said, okay, we're going to go feed this person. Let's go. We're going to go pray for this lady. Let's move it. We wouldn't even have to think about it. So John knew what it was like to truly live as Jesus lived. He had done it. The great thing about that is that he's telling us, I believe, that, you know, you can do this. That's what I love about this. He's assured us of our salvation, but now he's saying we can be like Jesus. We can do it. Do we really believe that in our hearts? You know, I, one of the things that I love the most about Open Door and the philosophy that is taught here is that concept of really seeing yourselves as Jesus sees us. Not just as a broken sinner, but as that new creation. This is who I am. And I think that's what John is saying here. We can be like Jesus. We can do this. If you abide in Him, then you're going to have this type of conduct. Now the question for ourselves is, does my conduct show that I'm abiding in Him? I love reading missionary stories. I love reading biographies of missionaries and and old pastors and Christian workers from decades, centuries ago. I'm not quite sure where I first read this story, but it was a story of a of a missionary who had shortly arrived, I mean shortly before arrived on a field and he was first meeting with the village people and he was telling them things and and they seemed that the more he said they just smiled at him and they would nod and he thought they were just being polite. Like some of you are right now. 
And the story goes on that the more that they began to nod and everything, he finally stopped and he said, do you know who I'm talking about? And one of the villagers quickly responded, yes, we do. You're talking about a man who used to come here. And they told him about a missionary doctor who had come to a remote village many years before and had taken care of their physical needs. But his life was so much like Jesus that when this missionary was telling them about Jesus, they assumed he was talking about that medical doctor. Can you imagine what our world would be like if believers were like this all the time? That if we began to talk to somebody about Jesus, they go, oh, I know who you're talking about. You're talking about Helen Ryan. You're talking about Jason Ellis. Wouldn't that be amazing? And John's saying, it's possible. You can do this if you truly abide in him then this should be what your life looks like. Now, we could be, right now, be so depressed and we could just go ahead and put a gun to my head and let's get this over with because I'm never going to be like that. But John is trying to encourage his audience to say, you know what, don't worry about that special knowledge. Develop that intimate relationship, that intimate knowledge with God and walk like Jesus did. It'll happen. So if we're not doing that, You know what that means to me? I'm not intimate enough with Jesus. I need to get to know Him more. And I may have all the head knowledge in the world. I'm able to tell you all the Bible stories. But there's something lacking if I'm not walking as Jesus walked. In these last verses, as He talks about that new commandment, and yet it's an old commandment, And then he goes into that the third claim here in verse 9. When he says, Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother or sister is still in the darkness. So there's a third question that he gives us to ask ourselves, I believe. And that is, do we love our fellow Christians? Do we love our fellow Christians? And if we don't, he says, you're still in the darkness. He's not saying you're not saved. Again, he's writing to believers, but he's saying, you know, you're still stumbling around in the darkness. It's a good test ourselves. Do I truly love my brothers and sisters in Christ? Reminds me of back to the Gospel of John again, to John 13, 34. Jesus telling his disciples, remember, he gathered them together. He'd washed their feet. And he tells them to serve one another like that. And he goes into this verse right here and he says, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. What do we see here? We see the beautiful picture of agape love. I read a great, a couple weeks ago, a great uh, definition of agape love that it's from gotquestions.org and i was just looking around trying to find different definitions and i love this one it says the essence of agape love is goodwill benevolence and willful delight in the object of love benevolence goodwill willful delight in the object is that how we love one another 
Do I want only your benevolence? Do I only want goodwill for you? Do I want you to prosper? Do I delight in seeing my brothers and sisters do things? Or am I always picking at them and finding something that's not quite right? Out of this, I think, I think of a, the commentator Glenn Barker that said how in this passage, notice how John doesn't really use love as much as he talks about if you hate. And hate seems like such a strong word, doesn't it? I mean, how many of us would say, I, yeah, I hate somebody. But look what Glenn Barker says here. It's a beautiful understanding of this word. He says, if I can find it, hate is the absence of the deeds of love. Love unexpressed is not love at all. Love has no neutral capabilities. When it is absent, hate is present. No about you, but that hit me like a brick. Okay? Hate is the absence of the deeds of love. Love unexpressed is not love at all. Love has no neutral capabilities. When it is absent, when love is absent, hate is present. So when Jesus said, love one another as I have loved you, what does that tell us? I mean, how many of you would say, I say to one another, I love you, brother. I love you, sister. And just like Bob, give him a big hug because he's such a hugger. But according to this, do we truly love one another if that, if the expression, if the action is not there? And so I believe what John is encouraging us to know and to check with ourselves is that actions are essential. It's not just about words, folks. It's about actions. That doesn't mean that words are not a part of those actions. But we just can't say we love somebody if our actions don't support it, our actions don't show it. So my question is that we should all ask ourselves today is, do our actions show that we love one another? Or are we indeed hating one another because there is no presence of those actions? There are no neutral capabilities. If we love our brother and sister, we're going to show them. Now, that doesn't always mean that's the good stuff, right? Because true love will do what? Go to somebody and say, you know, I'm concerned for you. I see this going on in your life. I'm concerned for you. I want to pray for you, but how can I help you? Or likewise, giving somebody else that capability to help you. I love the, the Dan Allender stuff and the stuff going on here. I mean, those are the things, you know. Are we willing to sit there and, and make ourselves vulnerable to one another? Because truly, if I want to love somebody, I need to allow them the ability and the privilege to love me. And sometimes that's scary, isn't it? 
I'm going to reveal myself to anybody. They'll judge me. And yet if I truly love them, I will allow them to come into my life like that. So it works both ways. Not only what I'm going to give to Helen, but what I'm going to allow Helen to give to me. Actions are essential. If you remember Jesus' words after that verse 34, in verse 35 of John 13, He said that others will know that we are Christians by our love for one another. The world would see it. They would see it in our actions. Do people look at us and see how we treat one another? Does somebody come in these doors to open door fellowship and say, wow, God is alive and well here. I want to be a part of this. Because look how they love one another. I say when we first came here, the way that you loved us was like, we were like, we want more of this. These people know what love is. But it's something to always ask yourself, do our actions show our love for one another? But I think there's a one more truth for us to take from this, and that is this, that we can know that we can walk in the light. We can know that we can live in the light. It is possible. It is feasible. And that's a great thing. But I don't think it just is a good little thing for us to say, yep, you can do it. Bill, you you can do this. You got it. You can live in the light. Here's your flashlight. But I love what John teaches us here in this, this little section here. He's not simply telling us that it's possible, but rather he's telling us that if we live such lives, loving one another, that we don't have to settle for that roller coaster ride that we have as believers so often. But that we can live without stumbling. I don't know about you, but that's very important to me. To know that I truly can do it. And he gives us a way of how to do it. He says, love your brother and sister and you won't stumble. Now what I mean by this, and maybe I'm making it too simple for myself because I'm so desperately looking for something. But I believe the beautiful implication and truth here is that if I'm feeling down, if I'm feeling consumed with worry, with troubles, with problems, if I'm depressed, if I'm sad, John says, let me tell you how to walk in the light. Go love your brother and sister in Christ. Go do something for them. Now, if Tab were to say it, I'd say, get off your little pity party and go do something for somebody else. John says it much more sweeter and loving here. But you understand how that's so, look at the beauty of that. I'm having a bad day. I'm consumed with my problems. And John says, Tab, stop walking in the darkness. Get in the light. Go love your brother. Go serve. 
Go to somebody who needs to be visited, that needs some encouragement, and sit down with them and love on them and encourage them. And you don't have to worry about stumbling. You'll be in the light. In his book, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis writes, Do not waste your time bothering whether you love your neighbor, but act as if you did. As soon as we do this, he writes, we find one of the great secrets. When you are behaving as if you love someone, you will presently come to love him. If you injure someone you dislike, you will find yourself disliking him more. If you do him a good turn, you will find yourself disliking him less. Don't walk in the darkness. Don't stumble. Love your brother and walk in the light. Look at these three tests. If you claim to know God intimately, you will obey his commands. If I'm not truly, if I don't see myself, if I honestly look at myself and say, you know what, I'm not as obedient as I should be, then let me encourage myself to develop more intimacy with Jesus. Are you in the Word? Not just reading it and having your quiet time, but truly in the Word. Are you studying with other brothers and sisters? Are you discussing it? Are you obeying it? Number two, if you're going to say that you live, that you abide in Christ, then walk as Jesus walked. Do I walk like Jesus walked? Do I behave? Do I conduct myself in a manner like Jesus did? If not, I ask myself very simply, what do I need to change in my life to have more intimate knowledge of Jesus and to abide in Him, to truly live in Him? And then thirdly, once again, do I claim to live in the light? Well, is my light shining? Am I that city on a hill? If not, then what must I do to make sure that I'm not stumbling in the darkness? How can I love my brothers and sisters more? Simple and yet very direct test for us to ask ourselves. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this morning again. And Father, I just thank you for the privilege to be here. Lord, I thank you that your word is so direct and specific in, in ways that sometimes we, we complicate it. Father, let us truly look at these things today and ask ourselves if we really truly consider ourselves to have that intimate knowledge, that intimate relationship with you. Let us not try to fool ourselves, but let us truly be honest with ourselves. And to ask ourselves these three questions. And let it not discourage us, let it not defeat us, but rather let it inspire us and encourage us that if we truly 
are obedient, we can know that we are that we truly are your children, that we're saved. That we can know that we truly can walk as you walk if we'll just simply abide with you and to live a more intimate relationship with you. That we truly can be in the light, that we don't have to worry about stumbling in the darkness if we will love our brothers and sisters. Let us be proactive as we leave here today. And continue to talk about these things with one another. To continue to look in the mirror and ask ourselves these questions. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.